Welcome to Creation Conversations with Joe Hubbard and John Mackay. Join us each week as we answer your questions and common objections to the Bible, creation, and Noah's flood. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good evening, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are joining us from around the world. Welcome back to Creation Conversations. It's our first official time back. Um, Last week, if you remember, we did our climate special, which was sort of an hour and a half long. And uh, we said we were going to come back with our sort of 30 minute clips, um, but also made the point that we would ever so often uh, bring in these hour and a half specials where we'd sort of discuss a specific topic in a lot more detail so we were asking people to uh, actually um you know send in their questions and, and get involved with that so that's been great um things have been fairly busy for us this week we've been busy working on our museums project in the uk which is our subject of discussion tonight or rather the museum project worldwide is our subject of discussion tonight um we've got uh, our good friend dr diane eager with me and john the evening um, who's still up in uh, in Brisbane at the uh, creation research head office so we're going to be chatting about some of the museums and talking about that so how are you both I'm not too bad Diane how are I'm you well thank you and we yes. have been sort of stuck here in Queensland because Diane's from Canberra so she's been locked down in my house while we've been free to go so funny situations uh, occur with all these government rules but praise the Lord he's let us free Excellent. That's great stuff. Yeah. Um, it's interesting with the, cause we did obviously the climate, uh, big topic last week and I'd encourage people to go back uh, and watch it. And unbeknown to us, it's become even a bigger topic in the last week since we did it because, uh, certainly in the UK anyway, we've had a lot of the extinction rebellion stuff spring up back up again. I mean, it was huge in 2019, 2020 came and we went into lockdown. Most people forgot about climate change, but now we've been let back out again. Um, um, Extinction Rebellion has come on with a force, including this report in the Telegraph, which I'm just reading here. Fairly prestigious um, uh, newspaper, news reporter. And it says this is the headline. Extinction Rebellion demonstration left 120 tons of rubbish on London streets, say council chiefs. Uh, the Westminster council leaders reveal the scale of littering left behind by global warming activists during the protests, claiming cleanup costs hit £50,000. Um, for the US, that would be around sort of the $70,000, $75,000 mark or hundred, close to $100,000 if you're in Australia. So um, quite significant costs for these Extinction Rebellion. And it does sort of show you the hypocrisy, if you like, behind a lot of this stuff uh, and how your people are willing to just twist whatever facts they want in order to push a certain ideology. So we'd encourage people to go back and watch our climate uh, conference. We've got the DVDs, the four DVDs uh, and and broadcasts. You can stream them as well, which are all about climate change. Uh, And we've done, we've covered climate on so many different topics, haven't we, guys? So uh, it's uh, a great thing to go back and get in. So, John, um, do you want to sort of give us a a brief overview, sort of introduce what are we going to be talking about and discussing today? Because I believe you've brought some fossils for us to have a look at yes and the fossil is not dr diane eager um <laughs> even though we are living fossils correct um we have bought some fossils and just a reminder the word fossil simply means in a hole uh so we've dug these things up now and our biggest hole over here is at jurassic Ark museum right you'll see the banner behind dr die there now 
today we're going to actually give you a look at some fossils from our UK museum. I've been collecting fossils over there for 40 years. Joseph has joined the team in the last few years. He's been collecting fossils. We've been collecting fossils all over the planet. And Dr. Dye has done some interesting experiments on some of the fossils. Uh, Dr. Dye, for those of you who don't know her, was a lecturer at Canberra University. And, and, and we're going to have a wonderful day looking at rocks and fossils that, as Jesus said, cry out the praises of God. So, Joseph, what are you going to do for us? Uh, well, I'm going to be talking about some of our museum -y project that we've been doing here in the UK. We've got our first official visitors that have been uh, that are coming um, tomorrow, actually, tomorrow afternoon. So that's very exciting. And uh, we're going to tell you a little bit about some of the project that we've been going on here uh, and so you, show you some new photos of some of the stuff that we've been doing. Um, but it's all sort of, uh, you know, plenty, uh, a long, long way to go before we get it up and running. Certainly as good as uh, what's been going on in, in over in Jurassic Arc. So shall we dive straight in and have have a look at some of your fossils good i'll do one then i'll get diane to do an exciting experiment then i'll come back to me for some of the well i guess you can say the really interesting time-wise ones but some of the pretty and not so pretty one i'll start with this one you see i like traveling and i saw this first i went on a dig in germany so Thank you, those of you who support us financially. We couldn't do it without you. I went to a place where the Jurassic rocks were first named. Now, Jurassic, as in the Jura Mountains, and you first read that word Jura in Julius Caesar's Gallic Wars. Don't trust me. Read it yourself. It's unbelievably long and quite boring, in my opinion. But I went to the Solnhofen, and these are plant fossils. But the interesting thing is, I was the Australian there, and I recognised this straight away. Oh, I came home, and I got a specimen, and I picked it. You see, those two are exactly the same. Now, it's, I've shared it so often, it's the fossils that convince me that the biblical account of after their kind and creation in Genesis 1 is the only valid explanation. And look, let's be blunt. You're, you can recognize this as a fossil cycad because not only are they still here today, when you dig up enough rocks and fossils, you discover that cycads have never been anything else except cycads. So if you come to Jurassic Art, the museum you can see behind me, you'll find we have a complete living fossil garden and we have Jurassic rocks. And yes, the fossils we find there include the, the cycad plants. We have hundreds and hundreds of cycad plants growing. So when you have a look at the rocks and fossils, the Bible says they cry out the praise of God. They don't applaud Charles Darwin. Charles Darwin says seaweed somehow turned into cycad plants that today don't really live too well in Germany, but they're found in the rocks of the Jura, and Jura gave rise to the Jurassic. In fact, that thought was invented by a Christian, a famous, um, you know, Alexander von Humboldt. Yeah, Humboldt, <laughs> the, the guy who did a lot of exploring and even has an ocean current named after him. He thought, how do I name these rocks that are so like the ones in the Jura, Jurassic? It has nothing to do with millions of years at all. Di, you've got some great fossils there that we've yes. used even yeah. in experiments. So take it away for a couple of moments. Yes, we have. Um, now, if I hold this up, uh, I've got a fossil word here. Can you see it? It says ink. Now, I can just I, yeah, I can just about see that there. You want me to hold it up again? There it no, is. No, no, that's fine. Yeah, we can see it. Yeah. Right, that's good. Yes. That now, why did I say that was a fossil word? 
Well, the reason is, is because it was written with fossil ink. Now, you can get fossil ink. Uh, back in 2009, we wrote a report about uh, an experiment that someone in the, in the UK did. They found a fossilised squid in some Jurassic rocks in, uh, in Wiltshire. And the squid has its ink sac intact. You know that squids have ink that they mm -hmm. can inject uh, as part of their uh, jet propulsion system when, when they're startled and, uh, and probably as a means of communication. But anyway, this ink sac was intact. So the scientists thought, well, maybe we could uh, extract some of that ink and li liquefy it and actually get some ink as in writing ink, which mm -hmm. they did. And they actually wrote the name of this particular fossil they found. And so we wrote that up as part of our normal work where we just trawl the scientific news and thought, well, that was interesting because it's very good evidence of rapid fossilization. By the way, Di, and, can they mm -hmm. get all of this information? Can they subscribe to anything? Yes, yes, it's, uh, we sent it out in our regular newsletter that comes out every couple of weeks, which is free. Uh, and we archive all the science news items on that. It's called Fact Files, so you can just look up that link, Creation yep. Fact Files. The website's the up there on the screen now for those who, yes. are, who are watching, creationfactfile.com. And yes. uh, you just put in fossil ink or fossil squid or whatever. And uh, yes. I think you were telling, telling me earlier, Diane, there's like a, a whole PDF report that they can download from there. Yes, there is, because there's a good story behind that, because a couple of years later, just let me, we actually acquired this fossil. Now, isn't that splendid? There you are. Look at that. Isn't that oh, beautiful? That's stunning. I'll, yeah, I'll, yeah, yeah. I'll hold it up to the camera there. That's right. gorgeous. Look at that. Isn't that brilliant? Yes, that, that's a fossil squid. And look, it's insect. Insect is intact. Isn't that brilliant? So we thought, well, we might check out what those British scientists who found the fossil in Wiltshire, uh, what they did. And so we were actually able to liquefy some of the ink that was in that fossilised ink sac. Can I interrupt you here? Because <laughs> mm. I had one critic say mm. it could have just been painted on the insect. But you remember we actually broke the top of the rock off to yes, get into the insect. Mm. So we took out what was inside the fossil, not just the colour on the outside. Mm. Yeah, yes, yes. We had to actually break off a piece. So it was contained within that ink sac. Uh, and we just used a little bit of ammonia to liquefy it. And sure enough, we had a blob of ink. It was enough to write that word. <laughs> So, so that is a genuine fossil word from a genuine fossil squid. But of course, the most important thing about that fossil is, and I'll hold it up again so that you can see. Um, you can see here that all of the inside is intact and you can see all of, all of the edges. You can see its tentacles. This thing has been so well preserved. You can see all of its anatomy. Now, most people only think of squid in terms of calamari and seafood. <laughs> and, so, and you know, they're very soft and squishy and they don't last long if you just pull them out of the sea and leave them sitting on the, on the beach or, uh, or anywhere else. So in order to preserve something like that, it has to be buried very quickly and very deeply so that it, didn't be, it wasn't degraded by any bugs or, or any scavengers. But most importantly, that ink sac had to remain intact. Now, when squid are startled, they will eject the ink from their ink sac uh, yeah. as a, a, a defence mechanism. But the fact that the ink sac is there and had enough ink in it means that the squid was buried before it could even do that. So very rapid, very deep 
preservation in order for that to be preserved like it was and for us to get enough ink to write a fossil word. So a good story there. It is a good story. And uh, one thing I've found since then is this was actually first done well over 100 years ago along the Jurassic coast of the south south and southern part of England. And of course, my little bit next to finish before we hand back to Joseph is to deal with some dirty looking fossils. Oh, this one here, that comes from Jurassic Ark. And it's hard to tell. I mean, you can see it's a bit of a tree trunk. It's a bit squashed. In fact, the other side has rotted right out. And you can see the color. We could actually make nice yellow ochre out of this, yes, couldn't we? we? Could. It's, it's actually covered in rust because there's an awful lot of iron in this bit of wood and it doesn't polish very well at all because any of you who know anything about polishing, we actually use iron oxide as part of the polishing system, even the ladies who put stuff on their face. I won't go into that. But in reality, you'll find that if it's got iron oxide in, you expose it to the air, it goes rusty and basically the fossil will explode, just like Dad's bit of motor car does when the rust flakes off. But of course, some of them, if you actually, this has been soaking in acid for the past two weeks, you'll notice there's a rock solid specimen underneath and it's got lovely rings. We can tell what these trees are. They're pine trees. And the ones that don't have much iron in them, not only give you a great ID if you want to polish them. See how shiny they can come up? That's because there's not much iron there. There's silica. Now, silica dioxide is a standard component of quartz, but when it gets into the tree, or how does it get into the tree? We've run the experiments. You can even get silicates for your garden because plants love silica. Diane, don't mm. they use them for strengthening themselves? Yes, yes, they make sort of little spicules which actually strengthen, strengthen the plant like a sort of structural um, there's solid a network, a fibre network. network. That's yes, right. And, and, you, and they need silica mm. to stay alive. So alive or dead, you'll find plants will soak water in. And if they need silica alive and it soaks in when they're dead, run the experiments yourself. Cut a rose and leave it dry and it will die. Cut a rose, put it in a bowl of water and the water will continue to go up. Prove it. Put some red dye in the water and you'll end up with a red rose if you started with a white one. So alive or dead, these plants will soak liquid up. And silica, well, that one there has so much silica in, it polishes beautifully. But you see, there's one more interesting thing that's to deal with our trees. And Joseph's probably going to show you uh, this in a moment. Can you actually, well, let's get this one right. Whoops, let's put him up this way. This is our famous Woolamai pine. Ah. Except this is where we knew it from first. Um, and up in the corner here, if my fingers get in the right place, will probably take you a bit closer. It's hard doing things backward, Joseph. That's how it seems down under. Can you see this fish? Now, when was the last yeah, time I can you see it up there in the top right, just right next to your finger there? Yeah. There we are. There it is, yeah. That's a fossil Murray River herring. They are still here today, but this is Jurassic rock. And, and fishes don't actually tend to live in the rainforest. Uh, in the pine forest, you don't expect to find fishes moving through the trees. But of course, we know that both of these are living fossils. Those of you who actually know much about the Green River shales know it's not Jurassic rock, but it's full of millions of fish, including our Australian Murray River herring. And the rocks in Australia 
are again Jurassic. And in fact, Joseph, why don't you put up your Jurassic living fossil there? There it is there. This is a um, a living uh, Woolamide pine. We, uh, they're, they're, they're very, very rare to get hold of in the UK um, because they tend to get imported in from Australia, which is where they're sort of, you know, where they come from. We actually managed to get this of somebody who somehow managed to germinate them themselves and uh, and grow them themselves. So they're they're stunning oracaria. They're in the southern conifer family, but mm -hmm. uh, they are so brilliantly distinctive as woolamide pines themselves. So you can very very easily match them up to the fossil. In fact, we're sort of side by side now, John. If I uh, twist this pot round like that and hold it up to the camera like this, yeah. you could probably uh, hold yours up as well. There we go. There we go. So you actually be able to see the ancestral Woolamai mixed with fishes in a Jurassic rock. Uh, in fact, this site is now off limits, so we had to access a whole pile of these, some of which will end up in our British Museum because we've got enough for there, enough for Canada, enough for England. We have museums in all these places, Tasmania included. So it's a big project that you're looking at part of the evidence from. Uh, and fishes? You don't even find fishes where, where these rocks are actually found. But you know what's interesting? The evolutionists get so many of these sites blocked off and it mm. becomes impossible unless you find a way either around the regulations or past mm. the regulations through old collectors. And so we're very grateful, the old collectors who had these in their collection. And Joseph, you'll end up benefiting that so you can put it right alongside your Woolamai pint to show you they haven't evolved they're living fossils. God tells the truth. And the God who created is not Allah. He's not just a Hindu God. He happens to be a personal name of Jesus Christ. So that's why these issues are so important. And the museums, which sadly used to be set up. I mean, do you know the British Natural History Museum was set up to show as a showcase of God's glory and his creatures? Now it's a place of evolving rubbish. Oh, the specimens are still the same. The evidence hasn't changed, but the philosophy, the attitude, the brainwashing has. The right. evidence shows things have produced their kind. The philosophy says, no, they haven't. You go with the evidence. And I'm a big believer, as I know you guys are, out of a very sort of hands-on philosophy in 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 teaching both with scriptural stuff and with the scientific stuff as well you know going out and getting your hands dirty and actually seeing what the evidence is there you know in the real world as opposed to just reading it in a book or listening to somebody talk about it so we love taking people on field trips and taking them around where they can see stuff and get involved with stuff and it's it's just amazing um and go for it show you one more thing go for it okay you see a friend of mine owns a mine and he said, oh, you need some of my trees. Now, this is a sandstone and you can see the tree preserved in white. But it turns out the white is actually white opal. It's silica, but silica plus water. Uh, for those of you who don't know much about opal, there's just ordinary white opal. There's blue opal. In fact, to get you a bit closer, you can see some colored bits in here. I'll use my uh, very important finger and lick it and you'll see the colors shine up just a bit better. Now, I was just cleaning up our fossil display the other day, and I thought, okay, let's do some splitting. Tongues, by the way, are useful aids to every geologist. Can you <laughs> see that quality opal that comes out? Pretty yeah, stuff. That's great stuff. Now, when you get the silica and it's just got oxygen with it, it's rock hard and it petrifies tree. But when you get the silica and water, 
Uh, in fact, the formula for uh, opal is basically silica dioxide dot XH2O. And that means, by the way, don't wear your opal rings or watches or whatever in a really hot place and don't put them near the fire. All the water will come off and they'll lose their color. So you can't get insurance for opals uh, from, from fire damage. It, they won't get it. They know it ruins them. So what you'll find is that the silica dioxide plus water, which is an evidence that water has been there a second time as well. But the evidence, his trees, our trees, well, what does the scripture say? They clap their hands. They cry out the praises of God. The trees of the field will clap their hands and you should too for the God who created all these things that show his nature. Yeah. And yeah, I think the, being able to go out, I mean, on, I know on some of our field trips that we do, even in like in uh, Australia, people can find gold. I know that's up on the uh, on the website that, that so you do get some rather spectacular finds when you come on a creation research field trip. So, um, yeah, keep an eye, uh, make sure that you're enlisted on our newsletters. We have uh, evidence news that goes out. We have our uh, newsletter, which goes out ar around the world. We have our UK newsletter as well, which goes out to supporters. So that's all completely free, by the way. Just sign up to it online and uh, you'll uh, sort of, be told as to when we have field trips and when you can come on these things and explore and also our uk museums project i'll talk about that in just a second because we're sort of heading towards the uh, the end of our broadcast here and we want to make sure there's some time for a question or two um but uh, our UK Museums project, we're now at the point where we can start bringing small groups of people in. So if you're in the Shropshire area um, and if you are a church or want to come and visit or family, if you're traveling up here, uh, do get in touch with our UK head office and uh, we should be able to organize a time when you can come and see some of our stuff. But before we do that, I'm going to mention um, one last uh, little sneaky commercial because a lot of the fossils that we've been talking about today are actually available into a bit more depth in this book here tides mites and fossil fights which uh john wrote and i uh, had a one or two little contributions in there as well diane um, joined in as well and yet we're all we're all got our little bits in it it's really sort of 20 30 years worth of research kind of written up in a fairly easy to understand and uh, very picture heavy book so we've got things like uh, this is a a, a a mine with stalactites in it in wales which is not too far from where we are it's got stuff in here from uh, stalactites and stuff from jurassic arc there's jurassic arc and some of the experiments that we've been doing but it also it doesn't just have the stalactites and the stalagmites which is obviously a big part of it but um it actually also goes into the fossils as well things like fish which are still smelly fossil fish that are still smelly um things like we've got our vomiting fish as well and this is one that's in our australian and our uk collection so it goes into a lot more detail it's got some really really good stuff in there and i believe john it's available from all of our websites it is and every specimen you see in that book is in our collection it's not one that's pictures from websites or whatever no. we have personally visited every one of those in fact i'll be honest when I'm doing debates, uh, some of you know that I carry fossils in my pocket because people say, well, what about this? And I say, oh, funny about that. I've got it in my pocket. Mm -hmm. um, we had these specimens because the evidence is so clear. And remember our constant theme where Paul wrote to the church of Thessalonica, chapter 5, verse 21, test everything. Only keep the things that are true. 
or prove all things is another way of saying it. And this is what actually happens when you get the rock solid evidence. That's why we did the experiment with the squid. Yes, it's one right. thing to read about it, mm. but does it actually happen? Yes, it does. Yeah, it's 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 that confirming that uh, what we you know see in God's world confirms with what we read in God's word. So let me just chuck up a couple of pictures for some people. These are just sort of you know eye candy, really. Some nice uh, fossils and stuff that's in our museum collection at the moment. So you can see. Um, some of our beautiful nautiloid slabs and our crinoid slabs from Morocco. Great evidence, not only living fossils, but also rapid burial and all stuff like that. We've got some great display cases up with some giant uh, crocodiles and jellyfish. And you can see our dinosaur in the background there as well. Great artifacts as well. Um, pots and sort of... Uh, you know, artifacts and cuneiform tablets and stuff from all around the world so some really exciting stuff that people can come and actually again it's getting really hands-on with the evidence and seeing some of the you know the biblical artifacts that are there uh, and on display well we've got about five minutes left in our broadcast so let's have a look at the chat let's see how that's going um big thanks to sam by the way who uh, we've mentioned sam once or twice who's come on board to uh, to help us with creation research in the uk he's looking after the chat this evening um so let's have a look and see if we've got any questions we do have one from george bond here our good friend george bond it's good to uh, good to see you are there fossils in museums that have been removed <laughs> into storage as it contradicted the story of evolution um i think we'll both have something to say on this go for it john all right well the first time i got involved in this was when an english author sent me an article and it was all about a fossil that was in the basement of the british museum um someone from an island of guadeloupe someone very dead of course had been found in the coral reef and his claim was this had been on display till evolution became popular then it was removed okay does it exist how do you find out uh the interesting thing is the british naturalist museum was so mad at me for publishing that as the editor of the creation magazine right from the beginning you'll find that they they said you've got no right you must print out reply so i said that's fine do it do a normal scientific we'll print your reply and when i read it it was very interesting it was evident that neither the creationists nor the head evolutionists had ever been to guadalupe where this fossil was found so yours truly john mckay packed a knapsack got a plane and went to guadalupe uh, yep that's the only way to do it and checked out the location i learned some interesting tricks like if you're there and you want to dig a hole stand on the beach and yell treasure the little boys will dig it for you right uh lots of pirate stuff around there but the reef is real there are fossils there there are even fossil dogs that i dug up uh definitely fossil you have to dig up a holes in the in the reef and the interesting thing was i went next and visited the naturalist museum they knew i was going there and i reported back to them with the missing part of the geological map and full credit to chris stringer he did one thing you see he actually apologized to one of the workers there who was in real deep trouble for having let the creationists into the basement so i said can i go down and see this skeleton sure he was very approachable very amenable full credit to the man and it's actually in the basement there's no doubt about it it's a person it's in coral as to whether you can say what motivated the museum to remove it was Darwin's evolution coming? Well, that's a different issue. 
that the skeleton is actually real. It's fully human. In fact, if you want to see a lady who's stoned, go and have a look at her if you can get access to it. So that was my first encounter with this sort of controversy. Joseph, go ahead. Okay, take you back to my days in university, bearing in mind that I've been doing field trips and uh, collecting fossils and stuff since I was six years old. And as John mentioned earlier in debates and discussions, it's very, very useful if you can say, hey, I've been there, I've dug there, I've collected the fossils, I know what I'm talking about, right? Anyway, I was taught in university, I studied something uh, called paleobiology, and that's what I specialised in, it was sort of a general geology course, but we focused specifically on having a look at ecosystems in the past and how creatures behaved and how creatures functioned in the fossil record, right? Now, I was taught a very, fairly simplistic view of the rocks, what you're supposed to do is go there and by the fossils inside the rocks, you are able to actually determine what kind of ecosystem you're you know, rock or fossil is representing. So if it's full of shallow marine creatures, it was a shallow marine environment. If it was full of deep creatures, it's a deep sea environment. If it's full of, you know, tropical plants, then it's a terrestrial tropical environment and so on and so forth, right? Now, both myself and John Mackay and Diane as well, they'll all say the same thing. If you actually go out there and dig up the fossils, it's a mess, I mean, we've shown you fossils from today. It's got fish and trees next to each other. And, you know, um, the, the Solnhofen one, the cycad that John showed earlier, has got all sorts of fish and stuff and jellyfish and floating crinoids all sort of squished up together. So the reality is the rocks and the fossils are a mess. They're excellent evidence for a great big flood. Anyway, I got taken on a field trip to Hunstanton. Now, I know Hunstanton very well. I've been collecting fossils there since I was about six, seven years old, right? Uh, I've collected all up and down there. I've led field trips there. John has come and led field trips there as well. We've gone up and down. It's great. Now, I was there with my tutor from university, and they were talking, and he said, ah, right, we're dealing with rocks and fossils. We're dealing with our cliffs. We're dealing with chalk, and they are full of marine creatures and the sandstone underneath even though it's quite tough sandstone so it's ground up most of the things it's full of shells and it has ammonites in the base of it so it's a marine environment there's no doubt about it there's no terrestrial fossils here this is a marine environment and i said to him excuse me sir what about all of the fossil wood here in the car stone he said there's no fossil wood here and I said, yes, there is. I'll show you it. And so we walked over and we had a look at the fossil wood. And there it was, clear as day. And he said, I've never heard of this before. It's in none of the literature. It's in none of the museums. I said, oh, yes, it is. I said, if you want to go to the Sedgwick Museum, Adam Sedgwick, by the way, was a, a big uh, opponent of Charles Darwin's theory of evolution. He was a creationist. And he wrote into his will that anybody had to be able to come and see his fossil collection. He was associated with Cambridge University. So the Sedgwick Museum is associated with Cambridge University. It has something ridiculous like half a million fossils on display there. You walk around, it's just row after row after row of fossils. And I'd noticed the year before that up on the top shelf in the Hunstanton fossil section, there were some big blocks of this car stone, this sandstone, with fossil wood in it. Um, nothing particularly significant, a little label just saying car stone, and that was it with this fossil wood. And I pointed out to this professor that not only was there this fossil wood in the car stone, but there was also the fossil wood in the museum, in the Sedgwick Museum in Cambridge. Right? Okay, I said, well, you know, how do we fit this into your idea? He said, well, I don't know, I'm going to have to think about this. Anyway, skip forward to the next year, and I was still in touch with the 
next year's students who were doing the course that I'd previously done via Facebook. And I saw that they were leading a field trip. And I said, oh, by the way, just in the chat, did he show you the fossil wood at Hanstanton? No, he didn't mention that. A couple of weeks later, I go down to Sedgwick Museum in Cambridge completely untouched the display is exactly as it is with all the Hunterstanton fossils except for the fact that the fossil wood has disappeared now was that anything to do with the professor I don't know I certainly have no proof of it I'm just telling you what I'd observed but it was interesting that the first time that I spoke out about to this big professor um, about the fossil wood there and the issue with it being a terrestrial or marine or so on and so forth it began to disappear from the only record that I've ever found it in other than what we've collected and are currently in the museum project um, is that uh, it's been in that it was in that museum and now it's disappeared entirely I mean they won't have got rid of it they certainly probably won't have destroyed it it'll be in one of the archives i mean the whole thing holds like about two million fossils so no exaggeration so it's a it's a huge thing but um i remember john i remember you telling me something a while back and uh, correct me if the quote is wrong but i think you said something along the lines of uh, a while back the museums decided that they were going to support whatever popular theory was in science that day um because there's absolutely no way i mean you know and i know there's no way we can put all of our stuff on display right i mean we have twelve thousand fossils in a small room so there's no way we can get it all on display so what do you decide to put on display and the museums had this the big museums had the same dilemma and they decided we're going to show only the fossils that support the current scientific theories um but which of course no doubt, no doubt about that joseph that is exactly what they made a decision worldwide and the for displays changed since then. In fact, to throw in one other good example of that, I gave an official paper at the Sydney Basin Coal Conference on rapid coalification, right? That's what the whole conference is about, a professional uh, gathering of geologists, right? And as part of my evidence, I showed pictures of a polystrate tree. And it wasn't too far from the university. It was held in the University of Newcastle. And I said, here's the directions. Down here, left there, along here, walk down, go down the cliff, and there's the tree. Now, it starts in one coal seam, and it goes through the next coal seam. Now, it wasn't too long before, and the next Australian geologist, Professor Ian Plymer, came and said, there is no such tree. Now, despite the fact that I have photographs of it, I showed photos, and they could go and actually see it. Now, would you like to know what's happened to that site? It's been bulldozed, right? And it's totally covered up and turned into a, well, it's just a recreation area. We can walk down through it, but you can't see any of that tree left at all. We have the only historic records, except for one thing. The tree was put on record by the first geology professor of Newcastle University. I wouldn't be surprised if those records are probably gone now yeah. too. But I got photocopies of the original. So that does happen. Our concept of scientists being truth seekers, sadly, since the rise of atheism and evolutionism and our greeny methods, I'm sorry, that has become a fallacy. Mm. Great stuff. Uh, and it does, it does show the importance of... Uh, well, and I know I have this argument with my wife, and I know, John, you've had this argument with your wife as well. It shows the importance of being a hoarder because you do actually get to keep all of these notes and all of these records and stuff. And I'm already grateful that I've kept stuff from my uni days and stuff where I visited, and I know you're the same, but it shows the importance of actually 
being able to get this stuff on display in these museum projects around the world. Um, so we would encourage you to get behind them. We'd encourage you to support them if you can and uh, help us get all this stuff on display because we've got some fantastic yeah. stuff that God has blessed us with in the UK and the USA, uh, over in Australia. So, yeah, we need to get it on, on display. So do get behind us and do support us. In that line, they do need to know, because I know some people are watching from America, we do have an office there. You will find Creation Research Centered in Tennessee. If you want to donate, you can donate with tax deductibility there. Mm -hmm. The same is true in England. Uh, we don't have mm -hmm. the same access to tax deductibility in Australia, but you can donate through PayPal and all those sort of things. And that's where our museums are, Australia, Canada. And we've got a great museum in Canada. Pop in and see it. It's just outside of Toronto. You will find that a real blessing. In fact, he's probably more organised than you and me, Martin, isn't he? Oh, yeah, he's he's fantastic with all that. In fact, we're going to get him on here uh, one of these days to um, to do this broadcast, so that'll be really good. And we've got a, we're, we're busy working. We can't say much at the moment, folks, but we're busy working behind the scenes to try and get uh, a good number of guests on. So do continue to watch. We're here every single Friday. Do continue to support us in as many ways as we can all right any last words from john or diane before we sign off rock on rock on <laughs> all yes, right cry out the praises of god amen amen all right well thank you very much guys thank you for the questions thank you for the chat and uh, we will see you next week goodbye